0: show sportsnet 590 the fan ben ennis brent gunning what happens first the boston bruins lose a game in regulation or the san jose sharks win a game both run the table i think <laughs> just as <laughs> like likely. to never happen yeah no i think i think the bruins are gonna go perfect and the sharks are gonna go winless uh, the sharks lost 10-1 yesterday <laughs> <laughs> to a canucks team that boy that's what all they a, do. what a fun Fun team, yeah. They're, so sharks and oil. Sharks are only two goals worse than the Oilers, is what I took out of that. <laughs> yeah, two wins. Yeah, uh, that's rough for for the San Jose Sharks. That'll be that'll be exciting to see uh, how many victories they end up with. Um, the Bruins are quite good. Yes, we expected them to be not bad. I don't think this good. Yeah, it's jury's out. They've only once this season given up more than two goals in a hockey game, and that was in a, a victory that they picked up in overtime. They they just they don't allow goals and the goaltending has been a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, not as much as yesterday. Like yesterday was, boy, was Jer- so good. Yeah. Jeremy Swayman had to be ridiculous, and you know so was Ilya Samsonov. In fact, more mm-hmm. uh, he had to do more than Swayman did in net for the Boston Bruins. But yeah, it's hard not to look at the sixty plus minutes, I guess sixty five plus a shootout between those two teams, and and think. Those And I know we haven't seen – the Leafs see another Atlantic Division team coming up on Saturday. I don't think the Sabres are in this conversation, but they <laughs> yeah. have seen the lightning this season. They beat them despite being down 3-1. Mm-hmm. Feels like the Bruins and the Leafs are the the class of this division. Yeah, I mean, the Bruins, it's, it's what we talked about yesterday. They just have that infrastructure. I mean, a big, big part of it now is the goaltending. They've got two goalies who – believe in themselves, believe in each other. They have the thing. The Leafs have wanted to have going on this whole time of, it seems like they always have two hot guys going at at any given time. And obviously a little easier to feel like this show. we got two hot guys going any given time. Look at that. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Mm. But the, the thing, uh, the thing with Boston is it feels that way, but I'm sure they've had times where each of those guys has stubbed their toe, but it is remarkable the amount of new bodies they can put in that system and it never seems to falter. I mean, all the talk has been on plot just rightfully. So you're going to be a first line center or at least one in name. You're, you're going to get a lot, but they were plugging in bodies on that blue line and did not seem to matter. I don't know where the credit for that goes. I would imagine a lot of it to Marchand, but how much of that's to the coach, how much of that is to the org as a whole. It's uh, I I hate doing it, but you have to tip your cap. I tip my cap to David Pasternak as well with three hits in that game. Yeah. Like, he was yeah. laying the body a couple of times. Totally. He was a, he was a more more physically involved player, for sure. The the Leafs' top line was involved on the score sheet more than they had been the last eh, mm-hmm. half dozen games <laughs> or so, as Austin Matthews picks up his first five-on-five five goal since game two I of the season. I don't think we've actually said this yet, what a rocket! That was that really was. Good. I went. Yeah, whoo- kind of puts a little hole in That's your theory about you know maybe the wrist impacting the lack of, of face off efficiency from Matthews. I, I know you did tiptoed yeah, around did. it, but I said, I can bring what you've been talking about in the breaks yeah, to air okay, here. You can. You're allowed. Yeah. It's a look for a guy who we constantly are just watching his wrist mm-hmm. to shoot like that on a night where you go O of eleven in the draw was. Uh, encouraging to see the shot look that way Mm -hmm. when the face-off number would make me wonder about the wrist. Uh, This Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's Insider, Craig Simpson, Hockey Night in Canada, on the call of yesterday's Leafs and Bruins game. Craig, thanks for doing this. How's it going? It's going well. How are you guys? Doing, doing very well. It's, it's nice to have positive things to say about a, a Leafs top line that had been kind of going through it recently. I mean, it's all relative, right? Like, It's, it's not like they were a disaster, but, I mean, they set the bar so high, and Mo- Matthews did individually with uh, the couple of hat-tricks to, to start his season. What, what did you make of, of, of the way those two performed, uh, I guess, alongside Callie Yarncrock as well?
1: Yeah, I, I just think uh, you know the early going is always a little bit uh, exemplified, whether it's positively or negatively, and so um, I I just don't think we've seen the the spark and the chemistry between Nazis and Marner uh, at the level that we were used to, and maybe last night was sort of the the sign of things to come again. I, I thought in that second period, yeah, they really took. Um, the game uh, put the team on their back and changed the way the game was played. And thought that okay, that's kind of the way that when they're playing at their best, both of them together, uh, they play off of each other so well. So I think a real positive sign. I thought overall the you know the game in a tough building against a team that had only lost one in overtime. You know when you get down early like they did. To be able to battle back, I know it's frustrating not getting two points, but I, I think, uh, you know, all in all, it was a, it was a game that they must feel good at least getting one and, and at times played and pushed the game and was able to take it back over again. But I hope, you know, I think the, the one thing is there hasn't really seemed to be a natural fit as the third guy in that uh, duo. The line hasn't really had a a winger that's uh, settled in yet and sort of taken control of saying, man, I'm going to play with Matthews Marner and I'm going to show that I belong there. And I I think you still kind of saw that even though the two of them probably had their best game together.
0: Yeah, it is uh, maybe the most frustrating part of the the season so far that nobody's kind of grabbed that spot, and it's been uh, it's been the curse the past couple of years of whoever you think is going to grab that spot doesn't ultimately end up with it. And obviously, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi is a guy who you know I won't say he had it handed to him. I think he went out and earned it with his NHL play up to this point. But it was pretty clear that was the plan for him to get a look with those two. And you know, I think back to that first game against Montreal, and you know, we joke it was the Scrum hurt Round the World when Austin Matthews got involved and Giordano came in off the top rope and you haven't seen a ton of that in Bertuzzi's game. You know, I don't want to say none of it's been there, but for a player who's right. struggling offensively and he has some of that in him, that's a big part of what he brings aside from the offense and the production. Are you surprised we haven't seen maybe a little bit of a nastier or a meaner Bertuzzi and, and maybe specifically after what happened with Lilligrin and Marchand last night?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I am in the sense that, uh, you know, as a player and especially that kind of a player where you're not just a finesse guy, you know, if you're going to be effective and play in this league and play at a high level, you have to be a little bit of a disruptor. You've got uh, that part is part of your game. You know, for me, trying to come to a new team and trying to establish yourself where you fit and what your role is, if if you're not right off the bat scoring and, uh, and adding things offensively. I think that's an element you have to have in your game. You, you know, the one thing you can do is be, uh, be an agitator, get in and get in on the forecheck and, you know, be hitting all the time, be in guy's face and trying to establish yourself that way. Cause it doesn't always have to be, you know, establishing yourself with a goal or an assist in that way. So I would say, yeah, I mean, the, the, the newcomers in Domi and bertuzzi that were were supposed to and should bring in a little bit of that element it 's been quite frankly uh, quite surprising you know, that they, they haven't really found that element in their game and they haven't really been able to get on track in that regard. And if I were Bertuzzi with another opportunity playing with those two guys, you know, the one thing you can always do is be uh, attacking the puck, be in on the four check, be finishing your check. You know, all those little things that, that are noticeable when you're not scoring goals. And I, I think if nothing else, it's been inconsistent in that way. Uh, with, with the both of
0: them, quite frankly. Yeah, you, you certainly would, would like to see it. And, you know, I don't want to belabor the point too much because there's plenty of other things to talk about from that game last night. There's plenty else to talk about with this team. But specifically with the, the play on Lilligren, you know, so much of the talk with Ryan Reeves coming in as well was this is going to be a tougher team. And they're not just going to be tougher because Ryan Reeves and Bertuzzi and Domi are here. Those guys being here are going to make everyone stick up for each other. And, you know, I don't, maybe maybe you feel differently about it. I don't feel like that was a group that made it there. made at their life's mission to to have a rough night on Brad Marchand after that. Are you surprised there wasn't more kind of pushback in that regard? Because that was a big talking point, not from us, but from the team itself coming into to this year.
1: Yeah, I, I think there has not really been for quite a while a, a sort of natural feel of that. It hasn't been a sort of gang-like attitude. Um, you know, that play was such a strange one be uh, because it was honestly... Doing the game too, in doing it, watching it live, wasn't sure if it was a penalty or not. When you watch it in slow motion, you go, "Oh, 100 percent, absolutely." <laughs> and I think there was a little bit of that, you know, um, and and so there wasn't a natural reaction to go in and go right then. And and a lot of it is dictated on where how the game was and the timing of it. But I, I just think what you're getting your point to is. Yeah, you have to have a collective mentality that we're there for each other, and it doesn't mean that you're always going in and dropping the gloves. But if if no, it's easier said and done than making Marshawn's night a difficult one because yeah. he can handle that. He, he's played through that. He embraces that. He might in a love lot it ways. more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I said, you know, there, that's kind of what we're going back to with. Uh, the lack on the Bertuzzi part is, you know, that to me is where you can be an impactful guy in your lineup without having to score goals. So I, I do think, though, that there's that doesn't necessarily come natural to this group to be that reactive. And uh, uh, that's something that, you know, you're always walking a fine line. I, I think at times it can be misguided if it's just sort of doing it to be symbolic. As opposed to doing it on a regular basis, that that's what our team does together when those kind of things uh, do occur.
0: Yeah, I generally agree, but yeah, like it, it would be nice if the the symbol, the the symbolic uh, reaction, was a symbol of hey, we're we're not going to let uh, a guy, a young defenseman, be pushed around, be injured severely like he was uh, in in the corner. Uh, against a guy who's been known to take a few liberties with players over the years. Uh, that being said... At like, least he didn't lick him. That would have been tough. That, At least he didn't lick well, him. While he was down, yeah, you, especially... Yeah, that you might have
1: wanted, wanted to snap if that happened. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I maybe, think, maybe he should have licked him because yeah. that would have finally woken him up. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, I think the takes are even more extreme if they don't respond to a <laughs> licking today. But yeah... <laughs> But now, so Lilligren, say what you want about the player. He was in an elevated role, right, considering the injuries and considering the depth of this blue line. Now he's out for what seems like a prolonged period of time. I expect him to be on LTIR. Boy, it looked so ugly, the, the, the yeah. ankle going into the end boards there. Jake McCabe is still out. We already got William Lagesson being forced into extended duty. I mean, what do you make of the state of the, uh, the blue line for this Leafs team?
1: You know what? It, it's it's like who they just played last night. You know, you look at the, the Boston Bruins had three guys who collectively had 84 games of experience, you know, coming into this one. It's next man up mentality. And I, I, I do think that, you know, when things like this happen early in a season, too, and and to a guy that, uh, as you mentioned with Lilligren, was kind of getting his, time and his opportunity to show he could play at a higher level and take on a bigger role with the injury to McCabe. Um, Things like this happen all the time and they happen to most teams during the course of the season. So I don't think you can get into that panic mode. You have to be in the mindset of, okay, next man up. This is where you hope that the depth you have in your organization uh, can handle it. And I've always found you know, when somebody goes down and it makes you maybe a little thinner in a role, I, I think collectively the group has to uh, come together and say, okay, we got to be a little bit more diligent about how we play defensively now. If I'm a forward and you've got a guy back there that, or you've got two or, or like Boston had three guys who didn't have a whole lot of experience, you got, your whole team has to collectively protect that position a little bit more and play a little bit better defensively and be a little bit more responsible. So it's it's less than ideal. But like any injury, uh, yeah, every coach will say, I, I can't do anything with the guys who aren't in my lineup. I just have to focus on who's there. And that's going to have to be the mindset, whether it's Benoit coming in and playing or, you know, I, I don't even off the top of my head have – Another name that you'd say, okay, maybe this is somebody's opportunity to prove that they could be an everyday NHLer. And that's what an injury usually brings to your organization is can you find that next guy who who can play a higher level than maybe even the team thought he could.
0: Yeah, we were we were looking at some of the names who played, you know, double digit games for this team last season. Jordy Ben played 12 games for this team. Gustafson played a bunch after he got acquired and yep. into the postseason. I mean, obviously it was part of the trade, but going the other way to Washington, Sandine no longer here. Like they brought in some bodies, but yeah, the exodus on on the blue line. Justin Hall, I mean, look how many minutes he he logged for this team. So yeah, it's certainly a a new look group. But to your point, uh, Simmer, the, this is what this team had to do last year when Morgan Riley went out and Brody missed some yep. time and geo went down and they they were able to do that but just sticking with boston for a second and i you're right there it is very much a next man up i don't know if that's like something in the city they got that from the patriots and just do yep. your job or or whatever it is but Seriously, what is it with the secret sauce they got there? I mean, this Poitras kid, he gets picked, you know, uh, 10, 15 spots behind where Frazier Minton goes in the draft. He's sticking. He's playing his 10th game last night. They have the three basically rookie blue liners in there. What is it about Boston that just allows and i'm not going to i'm not going to take credit away from the players they obviously deserve yeah. credit for stepping into the nhl and performing but there's clearly something to the infrastructure there that that makes it easier for guys as well i i would think
1: there there is and it is you know teams talk about culture and at times you, you don't really see it on on other groups and the culture can be something that's maybe a little bit fabricated but I, I do believe that you know this has been a group that has had a base of how you play and what it means to be a bruin and i and i'm not saying that the leafs don't have fabrics of that but when you've been a pretty successful team they've been to the stanley cup three times in the last 12 11 years you know there is that basis of when you become a bruin here's how you play and here's the way you have to check there's a responsibility factor uh, I, I think they are a living, breathing example of that. And so that's what I was saying about the opportunity it creates when someone else goes down. Like, look at Mason uh, Lowry, mm. just playing twenty-one, twenty-nine <laughs> in his first game <laughs> in the National <laughs> Hockey League yeah, and uh, out there in key moments. And you go, man, I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought that was. I, we all said coming in, well, here's a night where – um, you know, Sheldon talks a lot about when the Leafs are playing at their best, they can be a puck control team and they can, you know, really dictate the offensive zone time. You thought this was a game where you could take advantage of that. Well, it, it, it had its moments, but it, it wasn't one that the, those guys were able to handle it. So um, I think that has to become part of you know, the way you have to play. So if you're going to say, how do you become a Maple Leaf? Well, you have to then have those elements in your game every time when a new guy comes up from the minors, he knows that the responsibility is to block shots, the responsibility is to defend hard. There's, you know, all those little factors that you check off a box. And I think Boston has just been a great example of that. And last night was, was another example of, of Guys coming in, and the expectations were there, and, and they were able to raise their game to a level. Now, maybe they can't do it all year. That's that's mm-hmm. the hardest part of being a, a new guy. But boy, what an example it was last night.
0: And and when you don't have it, you got a good goaltender behind you to bail you out, as Jeremy Swayman did totally yesterday. Correct. yeah. <laughs> and, and as did Ilya Samsonov, uh, especially at the end of the third period, especially at the beginning of the second period. He was great, great, great. His best game of the season by far and we are it does feel like we're on a day to day basis here and in, in trying to figure out who the starter of the the next game is we have seen though when when a guy has an outstanding game he does at least get consecutive starts do you expect it to be Samsonov on Saturday against the sabers
1: you know what? I don't. And maybe, hmm. again, po- pointing back to what the Bruins are right now. Like, uh, you know, they have rotated. They're now 10 games in. They've each they've each rotated at the start. And they, neither guy has, has started two in a row. Last year, they were the best defensive team in the league again. And Allmark and Schleimann. Allmark played 14 of the first 17 games of the year. But the last 65, uh, Almar played 35, Swain played 30. You know, I I mean, I think there's nothing necessarily wrong if you don't have a guy that, you know, has historically been able to play 60 games or so, uh, like a hellebuck, you know, that's just been part of his DNA. I, I do think, and I think that's why... The game was an important one for Sheldon Keith to get Samson off in in a tough place in Boston, where you might have said well, let's put Wall right back. I think he felt they have to be a team much like the Boston model now where you're going to rotate or at most uh, allmark in the last sixty five game had one uh, stretch where he started three in a row and two two in a row. The rest was alternating and so you know, I, I think the the playoffs are when you have to make difficult decisions that way. But I think that's a model that they're looking at and saying, I don't think we have Joseph Wall or Ilya Samsonov who are going to be a 55 to 60 guy. So we've got to keep them both engaged. And to me, you got exactly what you needed out of Samsonov, with with the uh, exception of after a great night where he shut the door and made some huge saves when he needed it, two shots in the shootout and it probably makes him come out of that game feeling bad. You know, that's the one thing about the shootout that you you hope that doesn't derail what was a great night. And he comes out with the only mindset of you saw how dejected he was after the second one went in. And, you know, uh, that's why I got to say, I I think you go back to wall in my opinion, but Guys have been wrong many times.
0: So. You know, you <laughs> I know, might be wrong this time. I initially said I thought they should go back to Wall, and then Ben told me his opinion, and he changed my mind. But now that you say Wall, <laughs> I'm all the way back to where I initially started. I'm sticking here. with Samson. Yeah, that's fine. I would just much rather <laughs> agree with Simmer than with you. It's just, a good spot to be. Yeah, it's a great spot to be. Uh, just last one on the, on the goaltending there. I think the thing of what makes it work so well in Boston, and look, we all know in a perfect world this stuff wouldn't matter, but we don't live in a perfect world. We live in this one, and this stuff absolutely matters. Both those guys were taken care of, to a certain extent, contractually. I mean, uh, one of them's going to be an RFA, but he's making good coin. We know Allmark got got paid as well. Samsonov and Wall are right in that, I need to prove I'm a number one guy so I can get paid like a number one guy phase of their career. Maybe Wall to a slightly lesser extent, but I wonder if that makes it a harder kind of dance for the leafs to walk than it is with boston just because both those guys had been set up to a certain extent financially
1: yeah but it, it takes a little time to get to that area right like you, totally. you don't just you don't walk into that where both are established guys where you know if they're both established guys at a high level chances are you're not going to be able to create that that uh back and forth scenario because you're not going to have Seven, eight million guys in, or you got yourself a cap problem. So it's typically working and and not unlike there'll be a time uh, where Swayman will be, if he proves that he's continuing to be a good guy, a good player in a dominant role, he's going to be too expensive for both of them to be there. So I, I do think this is the time where, quite frankly, you know this contract scenario with Samsonov, Vasinov's oh, yeah. kind of at that ledge right now, unless he proves he's a big guy. But proving would be, can he be a 42-game uh, player and be what the Leafs need? It, if he can't prove that, then you know that the the two of them aren't going to continue to grow together. Uh, and and Wall is the guy that you're looking and you're wanting, A, to protect a little bit so that you, you don't you know, derail what may be a growth season for them, but also you also want to see what you've got in them because, let's face it, I think they know a little bit of what they've got in Samsonov, but they're hoping they've got something special in Wall and uh, nothing wrong with giving the back and forth so that they're pushing each other and challenging each other and see which one uh, makes it impossible for you to take them out of the net. You know, I, I think Samsonov did exactly what he needed to do in that game minus the shootout, and now you come right back to me with Wall to say get him right back on a winning way. Now you've got a good, healthy competition going.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's actually a, a good situation. It would be great to have a number one goalie making less than 800 k next season as well. <laughs> yes, wouldn't it, though? Yeah, that would uh, help uh, the cap problem uh, to a significant degree. Craig, uh, always appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, guys, have a great day. You too. Craig Simpson. Hockey Night in Canada. He was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley DonValleyNorthLexus.com. We did this dance with Max Domi when he was going through struggles, and I think it was you that suggested, hey, just, you know, promote him. He's doing so poorly. Didn't, I didn't suggest promote him. I said that was the spot that made it the easiest on him. Throw Tyler Bertuzzi back on the top line. Why not? Give him another shot. Yeah, I, 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 again, we're I for me, I think the Leafs are going to be in the postseason despite maybe an improved Atlantic Division. They've shown enough that okay, yeah. this is you're not buying Montreal. It's eh? yeah, going to be fine. Okay, um, yeah, th- that's because if it doesn't work there mm-hmm. and it doesn't work with Nylander and Tavares, then you are Nick Ritchieing him at the deadline. Like you, yep, five you and a half to. million dollars. Like that's not. It's not tenable. Like it's, it will not happen. Has to be an impact player for this team at that cost. Nick Ritchie got a thirty game run, and it was February, and he was waved goodbye. Yeah. So keep doing it. Like there's, I don't. He's not going to figure it out playing fourth line minutes. Like you got to keep running him back in the top six. The only other circumstance I can think of this is if you, if you go the exact. I don't think you exclusively go the exact opposite way. But if you say, no, you know what? We are going to give you the odd shift up top. You're still getting your power play time. I want you, okay, I don't know what he's doing there, and Pontus and Ryan Reeves to go run around. You, that's what you're here to do. Mm-hmm. You are supposed to score, but you're not doing that. Like as a punishment? Not as a punishment. As this is the guy. Oh. That guy right over there, Ryan Reese, he is the closest proximity to what a real fourth liner looks yeah. like on this team. Yeah. You're not playing At least like, there's an identity on the line. you You're not playing like a first line. And I still think you, Noah Gregor has been but, elevated. I don't have a pro like. It, it is it is a problem if Noah Gregor is elevated, but I don't have a problem with him being elevated, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Like he has played enough or yeah. well enough to deserve it. Other people have also faltered. But yeah, I do wonder if that's what you do. We know Keith loves an in-game tinker. Then he gets his way of, ooh, I get to move a guy back down to the fourth line. I wonder if that's how you do it. Is early on in the game, you say, this is where you're starting. And guess what? If there's a power play, you're still going to get your looks and yeah. we're going to bump you up in the odd offensive zone spot and Croc spot on the Matthews line. But you go about it that way and say, can you show us that at least? And then maybe the offense and the goals and the points will come. But at least give us that. Motivation shouldn't be an issue for Tyler Bertuzzi, who's a pending free agent. No. He did no. have single-digit single goals last season. Yeah, you've been banging that drum. You and I are both going to be right on this coming at it from yeah. the opposite side. He's of on you. pace for more goals this Somehow. season than he had <laughs> last year with two. Also, I uh, we, were, we were just talking about uh, the Sharks a little earlier on. I did figure out when they're going to win their first game. When's that? Uh, Next Friday, they play the Oilers. And it just feels (laughs) like the way things are going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just calling it there. I feel like you can get some good odds on that one. I know we already did Wake and Rake. But pre-next Friday Wake and Rake, see what those odds are. Okay, we'll be monitoring. Yes, we will. Edmonton Sports Talk Radio, if that's the case. Oh, yes, we will. All right. Uh, Creed coming to Budweiser Stage July 30th. We're giving away tickets to enter. Text today's code word, one last breath to 590-590. Again, that's one last breath to 590-590. If you don't win with us, though, tickets officially on sale 10 o'clock this morning at ticketmaster.ca. When we come back, our pal, Eagles fan, Adnan Virk of MLB Network, as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
2: Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Fan morning show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, yeah. We were just talking in the break about, hey, the Bruins have something that they identify as being this, the Bruin way. This is our culture. Mm-hmm. You work hard. You come here. What is the Leafs' identity? Austin Matthews and Mitch Meyer are like, hey, this is our buddy, the Beebs. Yeah. If you two get 51 points in a season, you can come play shinny like Tyson Berry. I would say that the theory established by your guy, Kyle Dubas, was just high-end skill. Skill, yeah. skill, skill. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. And it was like Un- turning the other cheek. Until like- the last deadline. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's get all the guys here who just love to be tough mm-hmm. and try. Well, and that makes se- that makes sense. I mean, they won their first yeah, round exactly. of the postseason. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, well, I, I think clearly when you have the lack of success that that Leafs team did with mm-hmm. that identity, then yeah, you're looking for a pivot in some way. Mm-hmm. So they, they pivoted. But it's I, 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 I think as someone who's who's watched what successful hockey organizations do, I think. The Bruins model yeah. seems more sustainable. Yeah, I like I like that one. And again, like it's a, such a bigger picture conversation. But go look at all the models you like, and they have a I mean, you know, I mean this in the nicest way possible a psychopath at the top of it. It's a Brad Marchand. It's mm-hmm. a Nathan McKinnon, It's a Sidney Crosby. It's Austin Matthews. It's Mitch Marner. It's John Tavares. Mm, yeah, John DeVars is like psycho in his own way. In his own way, right. in v- his own way. <laughs> his very own. Because if you're gonna throw Sidney Crosby in the yeah, psycho no, that, category he with Brad is, Marchand, he's very much in the Sidney Crosby school right. of psycho. Different psycho, yes. A guy that's totally on the level joins us now. It's <laughs> Adnan Verk of MLB Network. You're you're a totally sane guy. You're like you're you're right down the middle, Adnan. I like to think of myself as an even Steven kind of guy, although it depends. If I'm watching my sports
2: teams or yeah. somebody criticizes a Martin Scorsese film, then I can turn <laughs> into a psychist.
0: It's going to build to that. What, what, uh, what do you make of the box office uh, performance of Killers of the Flower Moon? I haven't seen it yet. It's so, so long, but that's okay. I like a long movie if it's worth it, and Scorsese is oftentimes worth it. The Irishman was great, yep. great, great, but I got to watch that in the privacy of my own home, and I guess I can on Apple uh, Plus with, with this movie, but yeah, it's not surprisingly not, not, not box office bonanza for this movie.
2: Uh, I removed the two of the so's. You went, it's so, so long. I would just go, it's long. I think that's fair to say, but I don't think it's so, so long. I watched it twice. I actually think the pacing of it's very good. And as you point out, Ben, The Irishman is a long movie as well, but also brilliant. And, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, Godfather 2, I can point out many movies that were over three hours long, but are worth the investment. But the box office was great the first week. It opened at over $20 million, which is pretty impressive for a three-hour, 25-minute movie, which is a crime western, which in the midst of an actor's strike, both Capra and De Niro can't promote the film, and of course, both those guys normally would be. The second weekend, what you're referring to, did drop by 61%, which is significant. Yeah. But overall, the movie's made about 48 million domestic and 88 million worldwide. Now, a $200 million price tag, and the normal math is you want to double that, especially because of marketing costs, et cetera. So it's not going to reach $400 million the Wolf of Wall Street to worldwide, which is a massive success. But this is Apple. I mean, they're making a billion dollars you know, every month or every day, I'm sure. So they didn't make this movie to make money. This was for prestige and to win Oscars. And if you look at any sort of prognosticator, gold derby among them, Killers of the Fire Moon, among the favorites right now for all the major categories, I think it'll get you know, double-digit Oscar nominations and may very well prevail in many categories. So uh, the first weekend was pretty solid, I think, for a movie of that length. Second weekend, though, you're right, the box office did dip a little bit.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe Marty is going to be uh, rewarded uh, at the Oscars, although he's he's beyond that. He's he's, he's done playing in that sandbox. Yeah, if he wanted that. to make money, he could just put DiCaprio in a cape. It ain't that <laughs> ain't that hard. That's what he would tell <laughs> you. <I guess. laughs>
2: well, it's funny you guys mentioned. I was just reading, uh, you know, he was on the cover of Time Magazine, Marty was, and he's also his ex-article on GQ. Yeah. Timothee Chalamet is on the cover, but... Um, They mentioned the Oscar nominations. That's crazy, fellas. He's been nominated 14 times for Oscars. He's won once, as you know, for The Departed. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of those are for screenplay and producing, but specifically as Best Director, he's been nominated nine times. He's going to be nominated a tenth time this year and has won for nine. It just seems so egregious. That that kind of record is on America's and greatest the, living director. So, I still you remember. Alfred Hitchcock never won a competitive Oscar either. So and it's, that it's, it's that one.
0: Shows. Like, I love The Departed that man, mm. but that it's oh, that one. Oh, there's a rat at the Come end. On. Of, the, the rats, because yeah. he was a rat. Right on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you guys. I did
2: not like that final shot. And and overall, <laughs> it's funny. I, I really love The Departed too. By the way, that's a pretty weak year for movies. If you look back, right? '06. there wasn't a lot of competition anyway, so. It was uh, definitely a lifetime achievement Oscar, but it's funny to think that's not even like in his top five movies. I don't mm-hmm. think that's, that's disputable. And yet uh, he does win the Oscar for that. I mean, it was, it was a fun movie, certainly. Lean and Mean and, and uh, Nicholson uh, hamming it up for sure.
0: No, it was a, it was an awesome movie as far as entertainment value is concerned. Like, and and not yeah. that like that's all, oh, but it, it was only entertaining. Like it's a movie. It <laughs> should be the number yeah. one priority. It entertained the hell out of me. Um, As did the Texas Rangers postseason run. Although the World Series only going five games kind of stunk. Game one was so great, though. Holy cow. We'll always have game one. And I will say, I would have been... I mean, for multiple different reasons, but the the primary one, I would have been upset that the the Diamondbacks winning the World Series is the 84 wins of it all and the, the four losses to end the season and just how middling that team was for 162 games. I will say there's at least... And again, it's only 90 wins for the Rangers and they didn't win the division. They handed it away on the final day of the regular season. But that's a little easier pill to swallow than, than this Diamondbacks team with, yeah, some good young players and maybe they'll be there again next year. But that, that Diamondbacks team winning the World Series against Corey Seager and Marcus Semyon and Nate Evaldi and Max Scherzer, I know he didn't finish the, the series healthy, but that, that would have been a rough one for me. Couldn't agree more, Ben. You know, you look back at the 06 Cardinals, and I'm like, that might be the worst team never won a World Series because
2: it was 83 wins. But at least you can say, well, they've got Albert and Yeah, they had other star players on there. You're right. For the D-backs, listen, it's a scrappy bunch. I really enjoyed chatting with Corbin Carroll, who I think is going to be a star for years to come. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. Um, You know, Gabriel Moreno, we don't need to bring it up for all the Jays fans, but looks to be a strong catcher for years. Sal Marti, obviously the hit streak. But you're right. I mean, this was... This is to me the disappointment of the playoff format and the success of it. The success of it is that the unpredictability. You know, one of the biggest reasons we watch sports is to go, I did not see that coming, and nobody expected D-backs Rangers. But I'm with you. In the same breath, I say, what is the point of the regular season if an 84-win team can go to the World Series and potentially win it, right? So I kind of had that battle myself. I'm with you. I'm like, this is so cool. And trust me, my first World Series covering it in nine years, I was thrilled to be in Arizona. 80 and sunny, I mean, I'm going on morning hikes, it was fabulous. And, and the atmosphere was really good. Rangers fans in particular, I thought they were rocking. Like, those first two games, that crowd was really electric. And, and it was cool to see a globe light field, which, much like Jerry's World, is just big. I don't know if it's a great stadium, but it's just huge, which uh, is true because everything's bigger in Texas. But I'm with you, man. It's kind of like March Madness. Like, I, I like a Cinderella, but ultimately have a tough time if, uh, you know, George Mason ends up winning the entire tournament. It's cool to get to the Final Four, but like to actually be a great team. Because it ends up just saying, what is the point of the regular season if it's just going to be a tournament teams to get in there? Now, I did talk to Commissioner Rob Manfred about it, and he said, <clears throat> with regards to tinkering the potential playoff format, he said, "Listen, I don't know one guy who wouldn't take the buy." I, I mean, if we talk to former players, don't just make this up. He said, if "We talked to former players; they all said they'd rather have a buy than not." So the fact that it hasn't worked out the last couple of years, or particularly this year's an all wild card matchup, you know, he thinks it more as an anomaly. Now. He did see he was open to reseeding, which I think is a good idea. So that may be coming in the years to come. But as far as the format, it's weird when the Orioles, Dodgers, and Braves, 100-win teams only win one playoff game. But I'm with you. Ultimately, I think justice prevailed. Because Texas, for me, even as you said, they're a 90-win team. And for much of the year, they were a first-place team. Like They were in first place 138 of 139 games out of the gate. So to me, they really were the division champions, even if they gagged at the end. And as you mentioned, with that star power, Ivaldi goes down as one of the great big game pitchers. Mm-hmm. And Seeger is one of the great postseason performers. I made mean, two World Series MVPs. Those guys are legit studs.
0: Yeah, I mean, of all these postseason resume. I mean, we've gone back, we talked about it a bunch, the the the, the appearance he had in relief for the Red Sox and that crazy loss against the Dodgers all, all those years ago. But he just has come through so many times and so many big moments. But going back to the idea of the format and a possible change, and you know, you mentioned Manfred mentions that no team wouldn't take the bye. How many years of this, and Ben, I'll, I'll invite you on answering this too. Adnan, will get your answer first. But how many, because you guys are much more irked by this than me. I think them's the breaks. If you want to be mad at somebody, go be mad at the Dodgers or the Orioles or, or, or one of those teams that couldn't get it done. Don't be mad at the D-backs or the playoff format. But how many years of this where it's a quote-unquote undeserving or less deserving team do you think you'd need to see in this spot before you would say, yeah. okay, we do need to, to make a change here? Because honestly, I look at it and say – in 10 years, when we talk about this, there's going to be way more Dodgers standing at the top of things than there are D-backs losing in a World Series final.
2: Yeah, Brent, I would say this is year two, and Rob said that specifically. He said, you know, I would caution everyone who's, you know, got their pitchforks and torches to take a deep breath. We're only in year
0: two. But I would say Typically, five, Adnan, I those people say- don't listen. Once the pitchforks <laughs> and torches are out, it's, <laughs> really, not hard. Easy to it's really hard to get the megaphone to break through. It is. <laughs>
2: Yeah, a little like Salem Witch Trials. But I I would think, honestly, Brent, five years. I think three more years. I think if if the next three years we saw, like, all wildcard matchups and six seeds continuously in, I think they'd go, we have to change it. Like, this is ridiculous now. This is not fair to the number one seed. So two years in, I could see reseeding maybe in a couple years. And I think Mm -hmm. if it was three more years of five versus six, all walkers i go, okay, this is ridiculous. And Rob did also say, I didn't really get clarity on how he meant it, but he also said he'd love to see – some more emphasis placed in the starting pitcher. I think he said we might be able to do that by having one less pitcher on the roster. So that was something interesting too. If you look at you know, I kinda of miss the days of yeah. Jack Morris and the ninety one World Series and all that. So I, I actually like that idea. I said, well, if we give them one less reliever, they got one less guy to use The starter it has to go long, right? I, that's why I was so happy mm. with Bruce Bochy used his starters. I love that. Said, no, Montgomery, if all you guys are going. Let's
0: do it. Yeah, I love that. I also think that just expanding, like if we're going to have all these teams in the postseason, just have the series all be seven gamers and honestly lop off some regular season games if that's the way we're going to go with this. And we're, it's not like we're going to start eliminating postseason games or postseason teams. So I'd I, I just go full, full bore, make everything a seven-game series. At least that's closer to what I perceive as... Regular season baseball is, you know, having at least to start four starters over the course of a of a postseason series, as opposed to only, you know, having two in a, in a three game wild card series. All right, the World Series behind us stays a and Like honestly, it'll be a forgettable World Series. I think when when history remembers it, uh, this off season though has one giant prize at the very top of it, and that's Shohei Otani, but there's also some potential massive trades that could be taking place. We talked yesterday, Adnan, about this story out of The Athletic involving the Padres taking on a $50 million loan to pay their players. Seems bad. Uh, For for a team that sold the second most tickets in all of Major League Baseball, Uh, Juan Soto hasn't been paid yet. This is his final year before uh, his free agency that guy seems like a no-brainer as far as somebody you're gonna need to cast off because you just like frankly can't afford to pay him I wonder if some of those other guys that are on on big tickets might be on the table this offseason as well
2: I think so too I think it's almost um, a formality that Soto's gonna get traded for that exact reason and by the way I was hard on him out of the start of the game because he really struggled in April I was calling him Juan Soso but honestly yeah. <laughs> he had a really strong year I I looked at the numbers overall, like he, he was the best Padre. I mean, he's still by his numbers. And if you go by war and any metrics, he was top 10 hitter in baseball, which I was really surprised by. And it's amazing to think the Padres with Snell uh, destined to win a, another Cy Young and Soto having a really strong year that they still were so bad and just flailing at the end. and couldn't even couldn't really make noise towards a playoff spot. So I'm with you. I think it's, it's, it's a formality just because they've given up so much money to other guys. Now, as far as you know, Tatis is concerned, a player who I love, as you guys know, I did ask Steve Phillips. But does a great job on MLB Network Radio and former Mets GM does stuff with us as well. I showed him at Nando because they flipped Tatis somewhere. Because that's a pretty gargantuan contract, you know, 13 years, 340. And he said, honestly, call Steve Cohen. He said, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility if you call the Mets. And he go, hey, you know what? Alonso, they're going to trade at some point, And, you know, Pete's going to want big dollars. So that may not work for San Diego because why would you trade one big-salary guy for another potentially big-salary guy? But he said Tatis is a guy that I, guess, I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets could make a run at him. So... I don't know where Soto could go. God, the Giants could use a star. So imagine the Giants, suppose, let's say they get one Soto. Otani goes to the Dodgers, Tatis the Mets, and all of a sudden you get some crazy flux as far as major stars are concerned in the national league. But yeah, Soto's destined uh, for me to be traded somewhere because it's just, they just can't afford it. And of all those deals, like I love Machado. He had an off season. He's, you know, surgery for tennis. I think he'll bounce back. Although $300 million for a guy in his thirties never goes great, but the Bogart signing could go down as an all timer. I mean, 11 years, 280, and year one wasn't great. Like, this is going to be a tough 10 years to go here for Padres fans.
0: Yeah, Machado, I, I was thinking, like, is there a way that you could get the the, the Padres to eat some of that? He's making $39 million in 2033, is Manny Machado. The Blue Jays need a third baseman, yeah. but there's just, there's just no way you can squint and, and figure yeah. out a way for them to, to land Manny Machado. Um, Matt Chapman's going to be a free agent as well. By the way, free agency officially opening up, what, uh, November 6th. Um, so yeah, um, Shohei Otani is, is going to start taking meetings at that point, as is Matt Chapman, who had, man, by the, the number is not a dissimilar year this year to a season ago, but boy, if you watch the thing, you know how weird it was and how all of the numbers were built on an April to remember. And then after that was one of the worst hitters in major league baseball among, among qualified hitters. I, I. The Blue Jays, I imagine, are are not going to make much of an attempt to bring him back. They're going to qualify him, and I don't imagine he takes the qualifying offer either because somebody's going to be lured in by the numbers, right? Like, what do you make of Matt Chapman's free agency? It's a great
2: question, Ben. After the first month, I said he might get $200 million because he plays a spectacular third base, and the market's pretty thin in terms of position players and third basemen specifically. But you're right. His numbers were terrible the rest of the way. So now I think he could be a hundred million dollar guy, which still sounds like a lot of money and maybe it's too much, but I could see a team going, you know what? Seven years at 15 million per, because even in a down season, he might hit two twenty, but he's going to hit me 25 to 30 home runs and play that great defense. And hopefully that will age well, but I don't know. I, I think he's cost himself a lot of money by having that kind of a season. And if you even look two or three years ago, right? It was pretty all-star match happened. Like he was a guy who thought for years, so the A's is going to be a star and one of the best third base based in the game, but the timing is everything. So I think, This year really did hurt him. I don't think it goes too much lower than that. I don't think he's, unless he kind of does like a Ben on himself, Cody Bellinger thing. If he goes, hey, you know what? One year, $21 million, and hopes that he can parlay that into a a big monster, you know, nine-figure contract. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. But I think, again, because of the paucity of available bats and because he plays such a good third base, he'll still get a long-term deal with good dollars. And, and again, the Blue Jays are not going to sign him at that kind of a price.
0: And paucity is such a good word. Well done. I, I, I it was good in. job That's by you well done uh always uh well done by you adnan have a have a great weekend man thanks for doing this a possibility of drama in the world series but i gotta tell you fellas texas and arizona i, I
2: still wish i could have missed the flight behind it with cactus right now really cool to see <laughs> rangers first world series in 62 years yeehaw
0: yeah boy uh see you adnan take care boys adnan Verk, mlb network the cinephile podcast here are matt chapman's numbers outside of the month of April. Yeah, they're bad. Like beyond yeah, bad. Yeah. Please. 659 OPS. He hit 205 with a 298 on base percentage. Yuck. It, it was awful 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 he had at least he's serious though could you for, could you imagine if he was smiling and making fruit cocktails while hitting like that 48 walks 139 or, he for, or like forgot his sunglasses while going out to right field one day oh my god it's no i think he's serious it's so honestly funny. man imagine he had a little bit of a different demeanor about him oh yeah well it's again like the, going back to the tyler bertuzzi thing it's like it, it's you can do whatever you want you can have whatever quirky yeah. personality trait you want if you're prefer- performing, if yes. you're scoring 30 goals, if yes. you're racking up 10 points in a seven game series, mm-hmm. when you're playing 10 minutes a game, you're being bumped down to the fourth line. You're playing two shifts in a third period against a divisional opponent and the best team in the NHL. Yep. And you're making five and a half million bucks. Not as cute that you don't have like the no. the tape on your stick and, and your skates look broken. Yeah. I don't know. What's the more offensive, like visual thing this, for you? It's this, it's the tape and the stick. It's like at the s- grip part. Like it is so offensive. Yeah. I get it though too, because like, yeah, these new sticks, like yeah, they got grip on them. I, it's, I, not, it's not like a new thing. We had grip on sticks. I, I don't know. Again, you're my, you're basically my dad as far as I'm concerned. So maybe not in your day, old man, but I had grip sticks when I was a kid. I remember the yellow synergy and the TPX rubber. I remember it. Yeah, it just it it's doesn't look great, especially when you stink. He it doesn't. Um, Adnan mentioned Shohei Otani. Uh huh. I um. Typically, these things have not gone well, so maybe I should keep my mouth shut, but we're here, so I'm going to keep talking. Uh, I have a request for the camp of Shohei Otani. Yeah. I would like that contract to be signed between Monday, or sorry, Sunday, November 12th, and let's go Wednesday. I'll take Thursday if I have to. Thursday, November 16th, when the Leafs are. Living our national nightmare when they're in Sweden. That's mm. when we need our Shohei news. I don't think he'll cater to us personally, but if I could just have my druthers as to when I could get it, that's uh-huh. when I need it. Honestly, I think anytime, either at the end of that week or after that week, after that week, we can fill the airwaves for five days talking about the potential of Shohei Otani becoming a blue jay. Like we can figure that out. Like, no, I- no, no. They we need to I know this is where you and I differ. We need to get all the Shohei talk in and out while the Leafs are gone away. And well, that's then, what I'm saying for that week. As yeah. long as he doesn't sign before then. Oh, I understand. And, but just saying, he doesn't need to sign during that week. In mm. fact, it kills it if he does sign. No, you want, I think you want the signing on like Wednesday. Here's my guess though. Yeah. Knowing nothing about Shohei Tani. Just seeing I don't, what I see. I, I know he's from Japan. That's about all I got. Yeah, he seems to like baseball a lot. Guy loves baseball. And not a lot else. Like he doesn't seem like he has a lot of outside. <laughs> he really interest. doesn't. You're right. I like, I don't know what he's gonna do with a half billion dollars. I told you what my pitch on him for the Jays should have been. What? They should have told him that the hotel that's attached to the ballpark oh, yeah, was a dorm yeah. just for him. Yeah, well, cause that is how he lives. I know. In Japan. I know. <laughs> he was dorm. Yeah. Ballpark. Ballpark? Dorm, and I he mean, was like perfectly happy with you it. You could tell them they're doing renovations right now. They could build him an apartment in there. Honestly, <laughs> like, he could you? Can. Okay, what a move. Shapiro comes to the mic and is like, "I would like to unveil the crown jewel of the Blue Jays renovations." And we're all like, "Yeah, yeah, great." And it's Shohei otani sitting in the apartment that they have furnished for him oh, in the yeah. bowels of rogers Center. Whatever. Like, yeah, build them something underneath yeah. the field. Do Who cares? whatever. Do the ha- a Harold Ballard like yeah. bunker, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> Anyways, my guess is that Shohei Ohtani caring about. Nothing else but baseball is that this is going to be a quick little affair. Mm, that that you think he, he already knows, and that's that. Yeah, that, that it's not going to, he's not going to be squabbling over dollars and cents, I don't think. He's going to hear your baseball pitch, that's and everybody knows what it's going to cost to get Shohei Ohtani, despite the fact he's not going to pitch next year. And no, he's going to go where he thinks he has the best chance to win mm-hmm. or is the best situation, probably on the left coast. As long as it doesn't happen before that week, Yes, so leaves her away. Yeah. All right. Uh, Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunnings, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Good Good morning. morning.